This is the Mondo Solution. That guy sitting beside me, virtually sitting beside me, if you're watching this, is J to the Mac G, Jordan McDonald. How are you, sir? Yo, 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 yo. What's up, buddy? I I love it. Air horn's always in my head. It's always in your head, whether it's there or not. Like, I go pee, and I'm like, and I'm like, all right, way to pee. Way to pee. See, way to be. There's a little tie across there. Um, welcome, everybody, to episode number 16 of the Mondo Solution. Um, and again, I'm your host, Brandon. That's Jordan. And we both work for Mondo Solutions. Hey, clever name. Look how we did that. You see? Hashtag marketing. So um, one of the things uh, that we really pride ourselves in is being due diligent in the marketing. And in an effort to do that more on this show, Jordan, what should people do before they start listening to this? Well, first of all, they have to realize that Brandon's juice is worth the squeeze. In fact, I'm thinking about giving up my espresso addiction oh, just Lord. so I can get a daily dose of his concentrated magic. B to the dubs. <laughs> but realistically, everybody should like, share, like, subscribe. They should do all like. these things, but they need to do their due diligence and and say that, hey, we're not here to pitch you guys on us. We're here to say, hey, these are the way things are being done in the industry here's a way forward that doesn't incorporate all of that garbage. Here's a That's new right. way. Here's a fresh way. That's right. And uh, something else that kind of comes out of that is that if you're watching this on YouTube, please understand that there is, a, look, we love our, our YouTube viewers, visitors, listeners, whatever you do. Uh, but there's also, uh, we're on the, Apple Podcasts and the st- I sound like such an old person. The, the Stitcher. We're on, we're on the online. Um, <laughs> you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, all of those places that you might want to listen. We would love it if you did. Give us a review. Give us a five star review. Tell your friends. And if you're a marketer, we want to hear from you. I know it seems interesting or ironic because you know technically we're. Uh, probably competitors of some of the other marketers out there, but that's okay because I feel like for most people, certainly not all, uh, because there are definitely some people in the marketing space that think they are God. Um, And Jordan is one of them, but just kidding. Jordan is not. (laughs) Are you kidding me, man? I'm wearing my return on ad spend shirt right now. That's right. I love it. (laughs) Um, But uh, we want to talk to you guys too. We want to hear comments. We want to hear what you have to say about our show how we can collab, as the kids say, on all of those things. <laughs> um, and uh, basically make a rising tide that lifts all boats. And uh, those people that stay outside and choose to burn the boats, uh, they can just stay out there and, like, I don't know, warm themselves Would, by the embers of their burnt boats. Yes, at least they have some wet tea. That's right. Right. Some wet tea. Boston Tea Party, throw it over the board. <laughs> Which was actually, they, they so the Green Dragon Inn, Right, which was the home of St. John's Lodge, being a Freemason. That's right, a Freemason. We don't control the world, just the important stuff. Um, <laughs> the Green Dragon Inn in Boston, which is where the St. John's Lodge met, um, is where the Boston Tea Party was planned, largely by the Sons of Liberty. They're like, well, it was done by the Freemasons. Well, n- maybe a little bit, but it wasn't done by the Freemasons. It was done by some Freemasons who also happen to be members of the Sons of Liberty. Fun fact and complete non sequitur this far into the show. I'm really excited that we made it this far. <laughs> Three minutes and 42 seconds. Three minutes, 42 seconds. Hey, that's a win. I'm going to call it. <laughs> so, uh, Jordan, 
We are jumping yes, back into our list of a visual timeline of digital marketing, which for those of you listening is kind of ironic since it's not visual at all for you. <laughs> no, is, no, no, no. <laughs> it could be. It could be if That's you're right. a, a synesthete, right? Like if you, oh. and I wouldn't say suffer, but if you enjoy the pleasures of synesthesia Ooh. and you can taste colors and hear YouTube videos, well, wow. I guess that, wait, <laughs> if you can hear YouTube videos, that's, uh, that's you know, good. If you have ears. <laughs> so, uh, I'll share this again. Yes. If that works for you, good sir. Please. And, wah, wah, wah. yeah, and on, so we're, yes, sorry, if I may, on all our platforms, guys, we put these things in the show notes. So if it's YouTube and you're watching this, fantastic. But if you want to link to this more permanently, feel free, whether it's on, again, Stitcher, Overcast, any of the podcast engines you're listening to this on, please feel free to click there and you can see the actual things that we're talking about. So sorry, Jordan, I cut you off. No worries. I just wanted to reorient our audience. We are Jeez. back on Disco Sloth, um, Disco Sloth. who <laughs> it's actually kind of a contradiction in terms, right? It's kind of, it's double think within itself, right? Disco has been known for fast paced dance and boogie, right? But then Sloth is, uh, well, you know, he's as fast as molasses. So those two things together, <laughs> Brilliant mix. And we're picking up here today, kind of where we left off last week, which was in 1998. What a halcyon year. Halcyon. Very halcyon. good. Yes, halcyon. 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 Yes. <laughs> uh, do you want to start up with 98 or would you like me yeah, to, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Do Just it. in case uh, we did not cap this, uh, let's recap it. Yes. And back in 1998, search engines, Google and Yahoo both launch their search engines to discover the rapidly growing information on the internet. And kind of in a footnote, Microsoft launches MSN, right? (laughs) (laughs) So when did, wait, so when did web crawler, because that was kind of the first web crawler. Let me look at this. That was one of the first ones that I used as a search engine. Oh, holy crap. You can still go to web crawler (laughs) (laughs) on March. Yeah. uh, 1994. Uh, as a desktop application on January 27th, 1994. Um, so it's not that Yahoo and Google were certainly the first ones, or Backrub, as we learned last week, which was the OG <laughs> name of Google, which sounds <laughs> creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They might as well as call it like, just relax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> um, uh, I want to make you Yahoo. Hey, you like that? (laughs) I did. I did. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of like where we are today. Search engines are everything. And it's, it's interesting, Jordan. I'm, I'm curious about your take because, you know, we look at search engines as a way to glean information, but quickly the business model of those has nothing to do with information. Almost. It just has to do with being the right thing at the right time in a convenient place and easier to go to and a two syllable word. That's not it's very easy to understand. There are no trick in Google, for instance. You know exactly how that's spelled. Even if you did not ever had not ever heard the word Google before, you would understand that it's G-O-O-G-L, maybe E-L, but probably L-E. And I'm betting that Google owns G-O-O-G-E-L.com as well. <laughs> but they're, then it kind of, their model, what they say is ad revenue, right? But it's data. I mean, that's their model, you know? So thoughts? Yeah, yeah. First of all, before I get into the the model and thoughts on that, I find it very fascinating when you look at all the search engines over time in their naming convention. Uh, none of them, I mean, web crawler, that makes sense, but sure. none of the rest of them 
are anything but obscure, right? Google, yes. nobody knew how to spell that. Lycos. <laughs> Lycos. Um, ask Jeeves. How do you spell Jeeves? Uh, Alta Vista. Yeah, Alta Vista. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just like and Yahoo. If that if I didn't say that already, right? It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's just so interesting uh, that back in a time in the nineties where there were many thousands, if not millions of domains that were available, unlike today where everybody's already purchased up anything that's shorter than 20 characters mm -hmm. and whatever, or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, yeah, ABC, X, Y, W, Z, right. It's, it's, yep. it's just so strange that they would choose these kind of far fetched words, um, to catch on. But needless to say, that's neither here nor there. The model absolutely is data, whether that was realized in those nascent times back mm -hmm. in 1998 or not. Uh, the reality is that, uh, they must have just vast, vast server farms and storage containers all the way back then to, to have the horsepower to crawl the internet, to, soak up and index as much as possible. Uh, and in doing, and in doing so, right. I think they came to realize with the help of some investors, right. That, Hey, there's, <laughs> this is great guys. What you're doing, uh, Sergey Brin, what, what you're doing is, is very cool from an engineering point of view, but we need to monetize this and we need to monetize this quickly. And yeah, I mean, it just, it just goes to show that Yes, you can have all the data. It might not be perfect or clean, but there is a way to turn data into cold hard cash. Yep. And do you know what a Google is? Uh, a Google, you know, I have a scintilla of a thought that is related to quotients, um, but honestly, I'm just using big words right now. It's a one with a hundred zeros behind it. So, I mean, there there is kind of maybe a corollary like you have this one result of this thing that you're looking for with a hundred other results behind it. I don't know. It's kind of a binary expression. Um, and at the time, Google's terms of service said, do no evil. And then they deleted that uh, not that long ago, which is super creepy. You know, hey, it works for some people. There are a lot of people we know that do a lot of evil, <laughs> don't we? Um, so 19, <laughs> yeah, my 1999, um, one billion, <clears throat> excuse me, one billion dollars in ad revenue was realized for the first time. In the middle of the dot-com boom, online ad revenue crosses the one billion dollar mark. Now, I don't know what it is today. Uh, actually, we can probably look that up quickly, but like the ad revenue today has got to be many, 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 many billions of dollars. Um, a, you have inflation that is at this moment ridiculously out of control. And B, you have agencies, quite frankly, like us, who then know how to take and utilize those tools uh, to drive return on investment to our clients. Um, so you have more people that are spending a more targeted amount of money, you know, so anyway. yeah, it's fascinating, right? If it was a billion dollars, uh, in 1999 today, actually as of 2020, it was $378 billion for global Oof. digital advertising revenue. And 2020's numbers were a 10% increase from the year before. Well, and what's interesting is though, I, I think that I I'm curious if that's purely ad revenue, because if we think about it, now we have these different avenues with which to influence people, influencers. I mean, specifically, are those thought of as ad revenue? They are ad revenue. Like Jordan and I get paid like a gajillion dollars. 
no, excuse me, three gajillion dollars for every five minutes that we're on this podcast. Time so to Google. Like, rolling, look out, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Beast. Um, oh, man, I lost my, my money gun. You know? <laughs> Your money gun. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if that's being calculated in there. I would imagine not. If you calculate those things in kind of um, organic marketing, which, you know, I mean, that's that's part of if we're talking about digital marketing, uh, I, I would imagine it's much higher than that. Easily crossing close to a trillion dollars. Absolutely. I would think. Ab yeah. Very fascinating. Cool. So, right, with the advents of all this money flying around, right, um, kind of as a non sequitur, there's this thing developed by Research in Motion, or RIM, uh, but most of you would know it as the BlackBerry, which Ooh. was affectionately nicknamed the Crackberry because people were so addicted to it once they got it uh, that, hey, we now have this method of easily communicating with people. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's the first widely adopted smartphone, uh, the BlackBerry 850, and it was introduced, the mobile internet. It introduced the mobile internet to the masses, right? I think... I think more than likely the majority of people using this were business oriented individuals, especially uh, I'm imagining the price was not low. Um, but for those who were well healed or who had the correct motivation, yeah, you were using a Blackberry. Uh, and that honestly didn't die until, you know, the iPhone came around in 2007. Well, right, didn't they uh, just put out a new phone last year? <laughs> okay, so to, to say that they died <laughs> isn't isn't a fair accusation. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, just saying. somehow they haven't gone away. Uh, yeah. th there are still people that really love the physical, minute keyboards on these devices. And I I never owned a BlackBerry. I owned a competitor. And yeah, it was great. Oh, it was, absolutely. I mean, it felt like you were ahead of your time to have such a device in the palm. Uh huh. <laughs> Palm of your hand. You Not to speak of any competitors, uh, <laughs> like but, Trio. Wasn't Trio the so, was it Trio? Palm. It? Palm. Palm Trio. Yeah. yeah, I think it might have been two companies that merged. Needless to say, 1999. Uh, I mean, that was great. I think. Right. Uh, what was the network? It wasn't even 2G. Right. It was probably like CDMA and yeah. Edge. Uh, CDMA was obviously the superior technology that Verizon was using. Woo, woo. But, it, but it was Gen One CDMA. Like I, I was heard, heard somebody talking about this recently, and it was because America is always. I mean, sir, I'm not saying that oh we're the greatest thing, even though we are. We are. Uh, because we are always kind of like er, super early adopters, cutting edge of things. The CDMA that we rolled out. This person was a journalist, and he was uh, talking about his experience of CDMA here in the United States and same phone and he would be on it and he would be getting like maybe 0.5 megs per second down. Okay. Then he went to like Ukraine. Now Ukraine present kind of circumstance uh, accepted because that doesn't really matter. Um, he would go to Ukraine, but they were much, 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 much later adopters like 10 plus years later adopters of CDMA technology. So the CDMA that we're built on, were built on was this super gen one or whatever it is. Meanwhile, they're built on like gen three because that's just kind of where their adoption came in. And it's, it's interesting. You go to cities, some of these cities, um, like my hometown, <clears throat> we've had electricity in the United States for a couple hundred years now, or not quite a couple hundred years, but a long time now. And we're just now in my hometown burying the power lines. It's things like that where we, because we're early adopters of some things, um, 
that we wind up with this, I don't know, we wind up with the good tech at the time, but then it quickly gets outpaced by the pace of development. And BlackBerry, I think, found itself in one of those things. And what's interesting with BlackBerry, and this is something that I do a presentation about digital marketing. Um, one of the things that if you're looking at our screen right now, the BlackBerry 850, it's a LCD screen, right? It's kind of like a weird 16-bit maybe thing. I don't even know 16 how- 16-bit? No, no, no. It's grayscale. Grayscale, excuse me. Full grayscale. There's nothing there that you- All it is is text. That's all you're going to see. Maybe a little picture that is dot matrixed out on the screen. <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're email machines. It's just a machine to read an email and that's it. Or a message from somebody else, I guess. But- there's no visual, real visual element to it. And that is where those early Android devices and iPhone kind of came out because those are pretty synchronous in their, their launch. Um, that is where that changed. And we are going to certainly, we'll get to that at some point. But we're only in 1999. You guys yeah. calm down. Calm down, Jordan. <laughs> calm down. You know, I, I will say this. I know, yeah. I know. It's kind of a tangent, but I love yeah, technology. 1999, when this, when the first BlackBerry, uh, the first widely adopted one was released, the one of the major Wi-Fi standards had not even been released yet. It, it would come out later that year. Um, so this device, it, I, I, I'm fairly confident in saying it did not have Wi-Fi. It depended on cellular data. Uh, and as we know over time, as you were just saying, right, you get the technology first, but it's not necessarily the best. Even with cellular data uh, capabilities in the palm of your hand. That doesn't mean that wherever you are, you actually get that service from your service provider. Uh, it, it's like so many mobile phones back in the like early eighties. Um, and even throughout the eighties, they didn't work unless you were yep. near a major metropolitan hub. Um, and even some metropolitan hubs didn't have those, those, uh, those cellular towers yet. So, yeah, it, it's one thing to have owned a BlackBerry in 1999. It's another thing to have actually been able to use it to its fullest uh, potential oh, yeah. wherever you were in the world, which was probably very few places it actually functioned. Uh, but even at that, it it set fire uh, to the rain. No, it, it set fire to everything that we knew. And yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and I was just looking while you were talking to see if it could be plugged in. Like yes. to a land wire or something like that. I don't oh, yeah. think so. Could it really? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I actually, I don't know. I just yeah. assume that it, it, you could connect it to a computer and share its data, but possibly like, yeah. I don't know. The pictures are not super helpful. With that. <laughs> it's a small device. It's, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like why, if you're sitting beside a computer, why would you like, why? That's right. You know? Why would you even connect this thing? Well, to sync your calendars and your tasks. I don't know. I don't know if they, surely they were, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, a lot of assumptions archaic. that I'm not going to make. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So in 2000, uh, Pop Under Ads, a company called Exit Exchange Files, for a patent for Pop Under Ads. They claim this is because Pop Up Ads are are annoying and Pop Unders <laughs> are quote more polite. Come on, you guys. <laughs> I mean, I think pop worse. under ads. Well, but they're so much worse because then they start sucking resources. Yeah. <laughs> now, I doubt in 2000, I mean, maybe, well, first you had like, they're like, look at our five megabyte drive. And it's like the size of a Buick. And, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then, you know, uh, so the resources that they were operating with were much the ability to have. It's all resources. relative. Yes, it's relative. Thank you. Um but then they pop up like today you'll pop up something and it's like one of those animated folk 
faux casino things behind it. <laughs> uh, at first, I'm on a Mac. I don't get pop-ups or pop-unders very frequently. Uh, but then you do, and it's like some nonsense. And it's like, look at this game. And it's using all these video resources and all this stuff. And you're not even looking at it. So if you're not paying attention back then... <laughs> You'd have like 50 pop under screens running and you're like, your computer's like, why am I slow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you were on a laptop, heaven forbid, your battery's toast. Oh, right? God. it was already toast. The, the batteries yep. are already, you know, <clears throat> un, you know, they're underpowered even right. back then. But yep. to have all these latent resources being consumed by things that you're not even seeing. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Cra they're it is crazy. It's very unfortunate. Don't do pop unders, kids. Don't do it. I don't even think that's like a thing anymore. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it is a thing. Well, I'm not going to say that, but so I think what I've noticed when there's one of those because like what was I searching for the other day? I saw some news source on Twitter or something, and I was like, let me validate this. And I was like, let me look at it. And it did this thing where it does a quick pop up, but it's so quick. So it's a pop up, but then it immediately is it it goes back it moves yeah, back like a level changes focus yeah so both. you don't even see it you see this flash yeah where it starts to render but then it actually renders behind whatever you're looking at so it's like oh 36 ways to use kleenex to wipe your nose um and <laughs> 36 of those ways <laughs> left hand right hand these two fingers these two fingers these two fingers <laughs> so, two-handed yeah two-handed like if your feet if you're really bendy um so like it would pop up that over top of whatever that article is about <laughs> kleenex and then it would immediately go under the article so that when you close that article yes look at this short well done with a little Gallagher prop comedy. Thank you, Caratop. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, anyway. That's yeah, it there are so many protections pop -ups. these days, right? Yes. Like they're typically built into the browser, Correct. whatever browser you're using. Um, it, yeah. But, yep. oh yeah, no, these things still happen, especially on um, less reputable websites. Yes, that's true. So, cool, yeah. next. Cool, next. Uh, let's see. You just did pop under, right? I did. Cool. So now we're moving on to uh, something that holds a very near and dear place in my heart. The original Google ads, which was known as Google ad words in 2000, they released Google released AdWords, which allows advertisers to promote products within Google search results. Uh, and I, I don't think I have this exactly correct, but I don't believe that ads were uh, today. You Google something at the top, assuming you have no ad blockers, you're going to see some sponsored posts, some sponsored uh, Google search results. And I, I I, don't think it's been too many years where they were actually labeled as ads, actually right. labeled as, as sponsored. I, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty confident. But back in the early days of Google AdWords, you didn't know that the things at the top were ads or sponsored posts. You, you wouldn't know that unless you had been told, unless your friend yeah. in the diamond Google ad business uh, could, could share with you <laughs> these insights. But uh, I feel yeah. like that's a FTC thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's something that the federal trade commission would require. It's kind of like, you know, this is an ad you're looking at. I could be very wrong about that, but that feels feels like something that would be necessary. regulated. Yeah. Uh, right. And I, I agree. Um, but so often as we have seen, 
the leapfrogging of technology, the cat and mouse game, regulators are always going to come later after, you know, it's like with crypto, right? Crypto's just been kind of uh, running around doing its thing for many years, and now it's starting to become pretty heavily regulated, or yep. at least it's on the way. I, I think there's something that was very similar that happened in the, the ad space for for Google as well. It was just it was just something that many not to disparage any senators or congressmen or anything like that, but you know, it's hard for many people to understand this technology, especially when it first came out. Like yep. what what is it, how how's this work? What is it doing? Why is it doing it? Who's making money? Right? Why am I not making money? Uh, and because I sit on the right committee, I know that I'm going to make money. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but. Fun. Uh, there's a fun app. Remind me to tell you about. It's called uh, Autopilot. Remind me to tell you about that when we okay. when we get off the show. Hey, you guys can go look it up. It'll blow your mind. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> what was so groundbreaking about Google AdWords? I'll say this as my last point on it mm -hmm. uh, is that prior to its existence, I mean, there, I think there might have been something other than Google AdWords prior, but it was it was so small potatoes that nobody even realized it, it existed. But prior to that, as we talked about. In our last podcast, somewhere further up this disco sloth list, uh, people were paying for banner ad placements, and they're paying significant amounts of money for the placement of a banner ad on a website. Um, but the the downside there is that you only a viewer only sees that ad, and the advertiser only gets paid right when. They yep. go to that website. A viewer goes to the website, sees the banner ad for Jordan's number seven pencils, brand new model. Watch oh, out! What? <laughs> uh, but with Google search ads, they with Google AdWords, they introduce the concept of pay per click advertising, yes. where the advertiser, um, sure, they could still run banner ads on their site for once people got there, but most people don't like seeing ads on websites. Although it, they're still a thing, they still work of course they're still there uh but the benefit was let's get our ads in front of people while they're at this mecca at this unifying points called google search uh and if we get our ads there drive more viewers to the site it's a beautiful beautiful model absolutely uh and there's i think there's a lot more in this list to come with that i mean the ads at that point in time began becoming more relevant. And I think that ad relevance means that the advertiser, whether it's the, the company, one of our clients, for instance, the company is spending, well, over time, I'm not saying this is exactly the thing in 2000, over time is spending less money per ad to get that seen because you can focus your audience. So you don't want to, if you're a tire shop, you, who cares about advertising to a six-year-old kid? Like, why would you do, A, why is your six-year-old kid on Google? But that's a different thing. But you're, why would you advertise to somebody that doesn't have a need or a want or the cash flow to buy the thing that you're advertising? So with those clients, like again, clients of ours, people that are advertising, we want to make sure that if you're going to spend 500 or 1000 or $10,000 on an ad campaign, they damn well better be reaching the right people that's going to bring uh, business in the door. And so this that whole thing kind of kicked off the ability to track a lot of that. So, yes. 2002. In the year 2002. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. It's getting over cold over here. Like the first Harry Potter <clears throat> film came out, the first you like that? Lord of the Rings film yeah, came out. I felt like you were channeling your inner, inner Gandalf or maybe it was Gollum. Well, have I, you I not know. seen that the, that sketch they did on Conan, 
So there was an actual song called er, thing in the year 2000, in the year 2000. And so <laughs> it's a whole thing. Oh, it's Conan. We got to go on YouTube. And okay. Look at it. Autopilot, it's, Conan. Um, we'll because it was, it was clearly after, uh, after, oh, <laughs> excuse me while I twist my mustache and adjust my monocle. <laughs> it was after 2000 when he was making this. That's what made it funny. Anyway, in 2002, QR codes or quick response codes were created. First created in 1994 as a manufacturing aid by Toyota, QR codes became popular with the Japanese public once phones started supporting them. The rest of the world is still <laughs> unimpressed. So here's the thing. Um, and I'm looking at this right now. Um, in So, <clears throat> well, I'm not going to look at this right now because it's I did not prepare for this part. But QR actions rose, okay, so QR, okay, QR code usage increased and reached 34% of scanners in 2018. So it's still a relatively low portion. And I think that- Did you say scanners? Scanners, that's what I'm saying. So uh, that same year, Apple in 2017, Apple updated and integrated QR code a scanner on their iPhone software, allowing people to scan QR codes without downloading a third-party application. Thereafter, QR code usage increased and reached 34% of scanners in 2018. From 2018, the QR code interactions grew by 94% in, in 2020. Now, it's very important to remind us all, in case you forgot about the scam that just happened over the last three years that COVID happened. And even though in the first six days of COVID, we knew that it was not surface transmissible. People still stop passing up menus and stuff like that, which is super frustrating, but it is what it is. People still do that some places. And I get it. I mean, there's certainly a cost-saving metric there. If you don't have to make menus or whatever in a restaurant, don't do it. But um, QR codes to me, uh, and again, it stands for quick response codes. And you see all different kinds, right? So like Spotify has their own version, which if you want to click on the one for... Uh, the Mondo Solution, share it with a buddy, feel free. Um, oh, lots, There are lots of different uh, QR codes. You can actually put your own logo or something into a QR code. I think there's like, you can take up something like 10 or 15% of the QR code with nonsense and <laughs> as long as it can <laughs> yeah. read the rest of it. Yes. Um, it's, it's one of those things that to me, people can argue about, myself included, argue about the usage rate and are you really going to get something from it? And to me, it's always like, it, who cares? I mean, if you can just put it up and have it there for convenience sake for the three people that want to use it, have it. It doesn't, it doesn't really cost anything. I mean, you could generate your own QR code in like three seconds. I mean, Google used to have their URL shortener, their goo.gl thing, um, where you could go and generate your own two seconds. And now everybody has one. It's like, do you want to make a QR? I think your phone can do it. So yeah, but I mean... You know, now we're we're moving past that in the phone space because that's why it was adopted by Japan so quickly. But simultaneous to that, you know, things like NFT were developing, and so now you hold you can hold your phone theoretically close to somebody's depending on the device and the protocols and all that stuff. And QR codes are kind of in those uh, settings a little obsolete. But in other things, again with food or with restaurants or whatever i think they can be useful and again why not you know yeah you know qr codes they're so amazing uh mm -hmm. right yes toyota they're using them um because yeah if you have a device that can scan something without you having to write out the full link without you having to like 
match it with a 24 character alphanumeric text that identifies this transmission in this engine. Um, it's all about efficiency. Uh, and it started as a efficiency aid and, and then it became something that nobody really was using. And it's one of those things that's only useful when the globe has adopted the technology and every phone has the ability to read it, which we are now at that point. And we have been for at least a few years. Um, and, but now it, it can be taken one step forward. It's like, with the link shorteners, with these QR codes, you can auto-generate them on the fly. And so when it makes things trackable, right? So when right. when Johnny Appleseed takes a scans that QR code, follows it to the link for Jordan's number seven pencils, uh, for his specific discount code, I know that it was Johnny that did it. I know where he was, I know what he was doing, uh, I know what he was thinking. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever it is, right. It, it makes things trackable and, uh, it, it's just so easy. It, it should increase the usage. Uh, uh, it should drive more people to more things more quickly because they don't have to type out URLs yeah. anymore or what have you. And it's also used, I'll just say one more thing. It's also used like, uh, for instance, in discord, uh, and, and other apps, if you want to set up a new device, on an existing device, you bring up the QR code. It's already authenticated you. On your new device, you scan that QR code, say with your phone, and then that logs you in to the app. Uh, so instead of having to type in your username, password, two-factor authentication, it it smooths all of this overhead that we've incurred uh, because of hackers and the games that we play to thwart them. Have you seen the, I mean, I know because you're an Apple fanboy like myself, but to a much larger degree, probably. Um, but have you seen when you do a new iPhone, that weird, it's not QR, but it's like that amorphous, like cloud, like swarm looking thing. That's yeah, it's fascinating, right? Yeah. I think they first introduced that technology uh, on the very first Apple Watch in 2015. Mm. That's how you would pair the Apple Watch. Uh, it's like a, it's a super, super advanced QR code in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I cool. mean, it's security and again, and again, why not? You know, I, yeah, I mean, QR. It really was unnecessary, but, um, you know, I say it was unnecessary. There are other ways to do it that probably required less R and D, but it looks awesome. It's very, <laughs> it makes it's very it feel Jobsian. Yeah, <clears throat> I can imagine Steve Jobs. No, it doesn't look enough like a swarm of gnats. Make it more. <laughs> yeah. Why well, doesn't make any sounds? As long as they're Bauhaus, uh, you know, gnats. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Sorry. Your turn. Go ahead. <laughs> my turn. My turn. Oh, do it. Goodness. Here we are. Well, we fast forward no amount of years to the same year in 2002 <laughs> where Adblock uh, enters the fray. The first open source ad blocking plugin for web browsers is released by Danish or Danish, if you prefer, university student Henrik Sorensen. Right. So I, I don't know what this ad block was called. It might have just been called ad block. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my goodness, it had been years since the world had been plagued by ads. Um, and finally, somebody took a stand, and I don't know what language this guy wrote it in. It probably wasn't. Uh, it was probably only useful on you know uh, some web browsers on some platforms, right? Yep. That's how things begin. They have to start somewhere. Uh, but thank goodness, somebody came along, and they they became the the cat in this cat right. and mouse game of of ads uh, and ad blocking. Uh, I have to imagine that 
this type of ad blocking was more for the pop-ups and the pop-unders uh, than it was for AdWords. Right. Um, so there's, yeah. Yes. You're still feeding. You're still feeding the algorithm. Regardless, I, I I agree with you. I think it was just a nuts and bolts blocker on. Basically, it was saying, "Hey, browser, don't allow any other open windows to open unless I make a mouse action that allows another browser window or tab or whatever to open." They may not even have been tabs at the time, to be honest with you. No tabs. No tabs. No, all new windows. All yeah. new windows. Crazy amount of resources. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Like but, insane. I mean, th- yeah, it is. But they could, you know, back then these ad blocks, could, they could simulate mouse clicks. Oh, that's true. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, I, it was pretty advanced what this guy did, I'm sure. I mean, I mean I'm sure it wasn't fully featured. Uh, sure. <laughs> cat and mouse. Yeah. We salute you, Henrik. <laughs> so 2003 Colonel. the first podcast oh. 2022 the apotheosis of podcasts <laughs> the bondo solution <laughs> boop, boop. so in 2003 matt schichter uh matt schichter's the backstage pass takes the honor for the first podcast in which he interviewed celebrities like bb king the beach boys and third eye blind i feel like no offense to third eye blind one of those one, <laughs> one of these things, things is not, not like, like the other, other. <laughs> yeah. mike but what a legend i mean at least Dude. third eye blind was like relevant for the time yes yes uh but but my goodness i mean uh thank goodness it was this and not like the first podcast ever in interviews kindergartners on why right. they like to make farting sounds right like this is <laughs> thank goodness this was the first podcast well and it's interesting um <laughs> Because we hear different things, and I think these guys get along, so it's not that big a deal. But like uh, the Pod Father, I have heard both Adam Curry and Adam Carolla refer to um, in those places. I think that what happened with those guys is that they largely kind of, uh, you, maybe it was used it more as a regular, regularly scheduled program. But you know, at the end of the day, a podcast is radio. You don't have to make a schedule for um, <clears throat> because you just download it and what have you. And for those of you that don't know, and Jordan, please feel free to correct me if I have the technology wrong in this, but <clears throat> what a podcast did was it took the RSS, really simple syndication, RSS slash XML protocols, which are basically the way that you can subscribe to a website or a blog a blog or something like that so that you get automatic updates on some sort of a reader. At the time, they would have like Google Reader. Actually, Google Reader wasn't out then, but a reader that would basically show you subscriptions on a regular basis when those updates would happen. It took those and it said, okay, well, a podcast is effectively just a blog post with an audio attachment, like an MP3 uh, or enclosure rather, an MP3 file attached to a blog post. And then, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the nuts and bolts of it. It's it's pretty straightforward and simple to be very honest with you. Um, you, when you had directories at the time, I don't know if Apple was carrying their podcast directory, but when you had directories, then Apple still today is like this. It's like, Oh no, your uh, art for your, for your show is like one pixel too wide or some nonsense <laughs> like this, which is super frustrating. Your ID three tags are all out of whack or whatever it is. Um, but at the time, you had to, because I had, I had the first video iPod. That was my first iPod. And then I had like a shuffle and a nano and all this stuff because I would go for runs and didn't want my full iPod. Um, this was iPod, I think, bef- when it was still 
a regular like SATA drive. It wasn't a, a SSD. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> you had to plug in your iPod to your computer to get podcasts from your computer onto your device. So yeah, not yeah, now. It, <laughs> it, it's fascinating. You're absolutely right. It was all RSS. You can still use that. This technology is yep. still a huge component of the podcasting space. Um, you know, there is like some minor controversy about who the first podcast was, right? Yes. There's this Matt Schichter who has <laughs> the year, uh, he has the year before, but obviously there's those, those two guys, uh, Adam Curry and Dave Weiner. I think you might've mentioned it, uh, that the year, um, or in that same year or the year after they were also credited as having the first podcast, but needless to say, these other two, they were the ones that created the first like podcast aggregation website, yes. uh, which was called pod iPodder or what was that? Yeah. Um, so iPodder. And then there was Adam Curry had pod podscape maybe i don't know everything pod i mean and yeah. t- what's you know what's interesting is that so i had a podcast years ago i actually had two podcasts years ago in 2006 or 7 i may have mentioned this before uh my best friend and i thought we were super clever and we had a podcast called the master debaters see what i did there and um we so did, you were just like amateurs <laughs> that's right but we were masters at it um and what we would do is effectively cover funny or interesting news stories and then debate them or talk about them whatever um that was way back and we barely knew what the hell we were doing we were using libsyn which is still around today to kind of host the podcast and things like that but the word podcast because it's very specifically generated to talk about an iPod. That's where the name comes from straight up. Um, otherwise why would pod and broadcast? Yeah. Why would pod be in there? But then it's weird because the name podcast declined. So I had a second podcast that was very popular. We had like 250,000 downloads a month type of deal. Um, 2009, 10, 19, 11, eight, 19, 11. Um, and it was pretty big at the time. It was quite big at the time, but I would, we would say show, you know, or, uh, something along those lines. It wasn't, it wasn't podcast, but then over the last, maybe not even 10 years, the word podcast has become much more, it's kind of come back into the vernacular as the thing that you call again, the apotheosis of podcasting, which you're listening to right here on the Mono solution. We have brought it all together and we congeal it in such a way that is just not reprehensible. It is a beautiful thing that we put together here. (laughs) That's right. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Next up, Uh, sir. Yes. But yeah, no, you're, yeah. So many things, right? Why, why that decline in 08, 09, 010, right? Like YouTube, which is our next talking point. I have to imagine it was coming into its own around that same time. And so maybe there was uh, some battle for it. Um, Anyway, here we are, three years later, after the first podcast, uh, YouTube. The first brand channel on YouTube belongs to Warner Brothers Records. Uh, so I, YouTube, um, I suppose it had been around for at least a year or two Ooh. prior to this, but uh, some <clears throat> some brilliant janitor over at Warner Bros. <laughs> like, hey guys, listen, YouTube's going to be a big thing. And everybody was like, nah, man, nah, I'm, I'm in the C-suite. I know better than you. Uh, right. And uh, well, they were wrong. Uh, and they were right 
for green lighting this brand channel which probably cost them next to nothing they, they probably didn't even have to pay anybody to make this because uh, it was probably an intern who was like listen i'm just gonna do this uh, i'm never gonna get any credit for it but it's it's important that we do this now and so yeah that's how that's where it began i mean you don't have to pay to make a brand channel now but it was i remember you could do it was almost like everybody was doing this twitter was doing this i'm sure we'll get to twitter somewhere in this list but like you would go in and it wasn't just today a brand channel the background is the same <clears throat> it may be light or dark depending on your preferences but that has nothing to do with the channel and generally you're going to have like a banner and all your thumbnails that is the artwork but at the time it was like oh you have your banner and you can do this background and you could do this icon and you could do all your channel thumbnail it was like jesus it was just over the top twitter was the same thing <laughs> now and then they pared it down which i like now you go to twitter and it's like here's your twitter interface and you've got a kind of a hero image and then your profile image and that's it but at the time it was like we're gonna customize everything um and I mean, do your thing, but brand channels, I think that what that was a direct move against a traditional TV, even though I don't think it, it may not have been conceived of as that at the time, but it was a place to know. And this is kind of a, a big call for branding more broadly. Like if you're going out and you are, uh, so I had a, a friend who's a HVAC client and uh, he was talking to me about, oh, I need to get these stickers when I replace a furnace, this sticker needs to be on there. Well, great. The sticker does should be on there because you should brand the hell out of everything that you can because then you're, you're top of mind. You know what I'm saying? And so when it's Warner Brothers Records, it's, it's I, my hypothesis is that it's sure you're listening to whatever. I don't know who is on Warner Brothers at the time, but you're listening to this album from this Warner Brothers artist on water music, you know, and it's a, oh, and then you go, hey, the best, I like the produ the production value of Warner Brothers music. I like this. Oh, I like this artist and what have you. I mean, look, that's the same thing from time immemorial, right? We look at Sun Studios who cranked out Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley and Jerry Lewis and all these things. And Sun Studios is like a little living room in, in Memphis, Tennessee. So these, the, but you know, if you know about Sun Studios, that's where it happened. Motown was the same way. It's like you go, all these artists, well, they're coming out of Motown. And I think that YouTube is moving against that to say, much like Must See TV in 1998 on NBC, you go, oh, I love the shows on Thursday nights on NBC. Um, on NBC. So anyway, good move is the, is the crux. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I did want to backtrack just briefly and say that I pulled up the Google Trends forward podcast term on, uh, on Google, obviously. It peaked in 2007 and it did not hit that same level again until 2019. Yeah. See? Isn't so weird? there was a huge lull <laughs> of like 12 years. Uh, uh, but it is, uh, it's, it's now kind of leveling off right now and perhaps yep. on the rise again. So. It's so interesting. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure my dog has a podcast and she's just not telling me. So, like, <laughs> everyone has a podcast. They'll let anyone do these things. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Your drinks won't do through for us. But Boom, then, go. You, oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. And, of course, I planned this strategically so that Sweet. I would get to talk about the 2007 Apple iPhone, which I did own, which I did not stand in line for. Uh, I, I waited. I waited a month or something. I was going to get the iPod touch. And then I was like, wait, 
why would I not just get this iPhone, uh, which was released on Singular, which would later mm. become Sprint? AT&T. AT&T, yeah. Singular, which was, <clears throat> yeah, later become AT&T. Uh, and I didn't have that. I, I had T-Mobile. Uh, mm-hmm. But back in those days, you could still jailbreak it uh, and you could make it work uh, with other carriers. Uh, you, <laughs> you don't have to go through those today. They just work with other carriers. That's right. But uh, <laughs> needless to say, the Apple iPhone in 2007 revolutionized the way people interact with the web. People start using earbuds Airbuds to avoid social interaction. Eyeballs start falling out. You know, this last part, I only have one example of that, and that's Kimbo's slice, but he got hit in the face pretty hard uh, before his eyeball popped out. Now, we won't have to talk about that any longer. Uh, don't look up Kimbo's slice. Uh, I, I implore you not to. Uh, but that being said, yeah, I mean, what what was out, what was uh, Steve Jobs' line when he was introducing this? He says we're we're introducing four new products today: a web navigator, a breakthrough mobile device, a internet communicator, and something that plays your music. And he's like, oh, "You guys getting it? It's actually the it's same one device." Thing. <laughs> and they're like. And everybody just lost their minds for this three and a half inch screen and this like yes. four inch diagonal device that was, I don't know, 32 million colors, 600 pixels by 300. I, I don't know. Whatever it was, it was brilliant. It didn't even have 3G. It was still on 2G. Uh, but man, this this changed everything. Absolutely everything. So I did not have that first iPhone. Sorry and there for are a couple, out there. It's all right. I love it. <laughs> there are a couple of things about that phone, if you recall. So one, I do. Apple charged too much, and then they actually had to go back and yes. refund people like two hundred bucks or something yeah, like that. They backtracked. Yeah. Yeah, which is super not Fun. Steve Jobs characteristic. Wild. No. Um. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it was a lot. It was. 800 bucks in 2007 dollars yeah (laughs) jesus yeah like i mean fine but i mean look apple's not hurting for margin clearly they had like double like tripled up on their margin they're like this costs 37 dollars to make here you go 800 dollars um the r&d costs bro yeah true but come on um and then also if you do you know who i justine is justine is eric Yes, I do. So her famous video. The inaugural. The inaugural. And I think that, because didn't they, and they said singular and then they, so her bill I think was from AT&T. So maybe it was like singular AT&T and behind the scenes they had already merged or something. Yeah, it was fast, I guess, but it was so singular. what was interesting is that I believe at this time I had like a Motorola Razor or something. And you would not get this bill itemizing every single thing and this later became an option but she got i'm sure you can still see this and this is arguably one of her personally big breakthrough videos um uh she's still around today just i the letter i justine clearly an apple fangirl um she started getting this bill it was like 200 some pages because it itemized every single thing that she did on that phone like oh you you here's this text you had with jordan and it's like is it it itemized everything and now you know she went through it on her youtube video you can still watch it yeah i haven't seen it yet actually oh it's it's pretty impressive um and so 
Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that was kind of one of the drawbacks is like, well, how is this data being used? I also remember the time that everyone was like, oh, dude, be sure you turn on all this privacy stuff. Okay. We, and we've somehow abandoned that. And now we have TikTok, which is straight up CCP spy Not all software. of us have abandoned it, David. <laughs> Not all of us. <laughs> we try. Like, I have all those things. And I, and I will say that, and I'm sure we'll get to Android here in a second, but like... um Android devices is devices are much more susceptible to uh, being tracked and listening to your voice and all those things than Apple devices are. But still, if you want to be as private and not have that sort of a phone bill, I don't even think you can get that sort of a phone bill anymore. So anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. It spawns so many things, this phone, right? Like, <clears throat> uh, yeah, every phone before obviously already had a microphone. Uh, yeah. So I think the the fear of Big Brother uh, has always been for some people. You know, it's always been in existence. There's yep. always the the potential. There's there's always the yeah opportunity for for ne'er do wells to abuse this technology. Um, yep. But I I will say one more thing. Uh, I I do remember that every Apple employee got the iPhone for free. Nice. And that was the first time I saw it was I went to a buddy's friend's house and his, his, uh, his brother was an employee and he had one. He was just casually sitting on the couch, like playing with it. And I'm like, yeah. bro, do you not realize what you're holding right now? Like this is, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember going to bed at night and I would like wake up and I would like, I would sleep with it and I would yeah. like, I would look at it and I would marvel at it. Um, and honestly, I still do that today. Uh, not as frequently, but I still do these this technology that we surround ourselves with is nothing short of breathtaking. Yeah. Uh, the, the engineering that goes into this is it's just, it's amazing. And the things we use it for are 99% trash, trash, just, just rubbish. And it, it kills me. I mean, there's, there's a kind of an, a moral and ethical argument that, that uh, devices that we carry, we carry the entire collection of human knowledge to date in a device that is less than six inches in our pocket, there's probably something not great. <laughs> I mean, there's clear demonstrably something that's terrible about that. Um, but at the end of the day, again, advertisers, marketers were able and are able to use that device to be able to serve more, uh, relevant, relevant ads. I go to the grocery store, personalized, yeah, I go to the grocery store and I get into the parking lot and it's like, hey, you're at King Supers. Here's yeah. some coupons. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'll yeah. use your damn yeah. coupons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> useful, useful, timely, yes. relevant, personalized, yes. right? That's that's the the dream, the end goal of ads from the like the user's perspective, not the advertiser necessarily, right? Yep. Um, but it's a win-win. If the it user is. is is consuming it because behavioral studies indicate that they will and that's desirable, the advertiser also wins. Yeah, Win for sure. Uh, okay, that same year in 2007, user behavior tracking, in other words, the singularity... <laughs> The devil came calling. Facebook launches <laughs> Beacon, a platform that monitors users on other websites. Beacon is shut down in 2011 after privacy complaints. Zuckerberg <clears throat> calls it a, quote, mistake. So 
But here's the thing, kids. <laughs> it's March 28th, 2023 as we record this. If you think they're not tracking what you do on other websites, you are wildly mistaken. Um, <clears throat> I think that there are ways to kind of get around that. You can certainly, I don't know. Look, if you really want to be super private about the things that you're looking at on other websites, don't have an iPhone or an Android device. Have a Don't use the internet. Don't use the internet. Like there's Go live in Micronesia. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is uh, or, sponsored by Microsoft with yeah, that's right, probably it's like truth and consequences, New Mexico. Do you know how they got its name? <laughs> no, it's from this TV show, truth and consequences. No. They were like, we'll give money to the first town that this is such a tangent that, that, uh, will change its name to truth and consequences. And so this little town in New Mexico was like, we got nothing going on. We'll do that. <laughs> Just saying or truth or consequences. Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, look, uh, they're still tracking you. The what they're trying to do there, and I get. I uh, again, when fa this is why when Google removed the "Don't be evil" stuff from their Facebook or from their terms of service, it was so weird. Um, because they're all of these things, all of these things. Even if you're somebody who goes, "Oh, slippery slope fallacy is bullshit," listen, it's not. Because in this particular case, they were like, "Oh, we have privacy concerns." They go, we are just having this information given to us so that we can serve you, show you, end user, more relevant information, pages, groups, et cetera, on Facebook. That still happens today. Um, the the slippery slope part comes in that it's like, how is that data then used by other people? Over COVID, we saw this. We saw government overreach into uh, websites like Facebook, like uh, Twitter, all these things where people were tracking government entities were tracking and banning and so on and so forth. And I have, I have a strong um, opposition to that. And this was kind of the beginning of that sort of thing. And I mean, Hey, it was, if it were being honest, it's the natural progression. I get it as marketers. It, again, it's kind of that spot where you want to serve relevant information to the people based on what their search history, their browsing history says. So I get it, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, just to piggyback upon that, because uh, it's something that I I take very personally and seriously, and I, I try to be the uh, individual that's always on top of the soapbox preaching about how you should do what you can to protect your privacy, uh, while at the same time uh, being somebody that runs advertising, right? So I, I I see I see both sides of this coin, and there is there is a middle ground. Yes, we need data from a marketer's perspective uh, to be able to serve people that want our clients uh, product, the, the right ad at the right time, uh, something that we know they want, they know they want, and we facilitate the, the vehicle of making it easy to acquire that product or service like this. Yes. Yes. There is a certain amount of data that and privacy that you um, need to hand over to have such a like fluid experience of of buying uh, and selling uh, products and services yeah. and finding them. Now, on the other hand, there there are <clears throat> there are times when it can go too far, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and it's not necessarily because of the first party company that's collecting the data, um, but we all know that hacks and leaks happen. Uh, you know, nobody is doing this intentionally. I, I don't think there are, 
I mean, certainly there are some companies that do a better job of investing in their security posture than others, but I don't think any company necessarily starts off uh, doing a thing and says, hey, let's, you know, let's like yeah. leak this data. Let's be insecure here. Of course, there's always trade-offs in business. So you only have so much money and you have to make money to stay in business. But that being said, right, when it comes to something as important as, say, your health data, Right. Yeah. It's one thing to, uh, and I'm not going to target any specific company, but it's one thing to take these, uh, these like mail in tests and you like, you send in your saliva and it tells you, Hey, you're like 37% South African, like Elon Musk. And, and that that's great. Uh, but now they have, and potentially if they were hacked or leaked, nefarious individuals have access to some of your like health data, you, you know, mm -hmm. who knows how much, uh, but I know for certain that, you know, there's information that can be gleaned from, from these samples that you send in, such as maybe you are, uh, hereditarily, uh, inclined to have a certain disease or X, Y, Z diseases. And with this information, potentially, I know this, I know this all seems far fetched, but it's really not, uh, potentially with this information in a roundabout way at some point in the future, an insurance company could have that information and say, Hey, uh, we are no longer able to provide you with this insurance, or we have to raise your rates because we know, uh, that based upon whatever you, based upon this information, you are more likely uh, to die at a younger age because of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. I know, I know this seems kind of crazy. It might even seem kind of like tinfoil hatish, but it's really <clears throat> not. This is, this is the world we live in today. Yep. I mean, Again, I will take stick a toe up on the tote box as well. Canada is already doing that. There's a I'm going to get the story a little bit wrong, but this veteran in Canada had some particular thing where I think it was a woman, and I think she she's a veteran. She needed some sort of medical care, and um, it wasn't particularly life threatening. I forget what it was. I'm going to have to look this up. But the, instead of saying, "Hey," um, Hey, we can help you with this. Um, they were like, no, no, we can help you. Yeah. She, so she needed a chairlift. That's exactly, I'm looking at the story now. This is on some news article. Um, she was a para Paralympic athlete, Christine Gauthier, who was looking for help moving around her home. So she just needed one of those chairlift things, right? She's a military veteran, all this stuff. And instead she like was a, triath or excuse me a paralympic athlete at the 2016 games um she's not she's an older lady but she's not that old and instead they were like uh we're not going to install that for you but what we will do is help you kill yourself dead serious they're made m-a-i-d i think is what it is program um <clears throat> and i mean that's where all this kind of that is the culmination of a lot of this stuff. And again, I will agree with Jordan. It does seem far-fetched. But what's interesting is that if we lined up a scorecard of people that say conspiracies like this or people that criticize conspiracy like this, the conspiracy theories are winning by like leaps and bounds. Hashtag MKUltra. So I digress. <laughs> and to digress, that was all a great pre-roll ad yes. for the, the, the next topic, which is YouTube pre-roll ads, which in 2008... Uh, promoted videos and pre-roll video ads were launched on YouTube. Um, and yeah, what does that mean, right? You search for cute puppy videos on YouTube and you're like, yeah, I want to watch this one about Westies. And so you click on it and you watch an ad for 15 seconds that 
at the time, I don't believe there was a YouTube premium. Uh, there was no way to skip that ad. Uh, you just had to watch, or at least you had to watch like 50% of it before you could skip it yep. or however it worked. Right. Uh, but a huge boon for advertisers and people wanting to advertise um, because now they could pay to have their product and service uh, mentioned in front of, of YouTube videos, right? So before maybe you had to partner with a brand channel and say, Hey, could you like slip in my ad uh, somewhere in the middle of your content or uh, maybe at the end? But we all know that, right? Like if uh, people aren't going to, if they see an ad at the end, they're just going to close the window. Yep. They're going to go to the next video. If they see the ad in the middle, um, you know, it, maybe it was skippable. Maybe it wasn't. But by forcing it to be at the front, uh, skippable or not, I don't remember the technology clearly in 2008. Uh, they they were going to watch it. They knew They knew cute puppies were coming. So whatever this ad was, even if they looked away, even if they hit the mute button, uh, because whatever, right? It was it was still there, and yeah. And by the way, they can tell if you hit the mute button. I mean, yes, it's a mechanical <laughs> thing on your computer. They can tell. They can tell retention time. YouTube tells you all of these things. They can tell you as you can now see in different interfaces like the Apple TV, I've, um, YouTube app. You can see where the most part of a particular video is. So if it's like. My daughter and I were watching this video the other day where these um, guys took this inflatable kayak and were launching it with themselves in it down this snowy hill. They were using it as a sled and like launching off a ramp. And it was like, well, I don't want to sift through the like 10 minutes of nonsense. I just want to see him eat crap. And that's exactly what we did. And it's like, here's where the video spikes. And so you can go and watch those things. The other thing that it did though, <clears throat> and this is what's kind of the missing piece to what a lot of people realize, they go, oh, what a pain in the ass, I have to watch this ad. Well, so now some ads are skippable, some ads are not skippable. If they're not skippable, the advertiser has to pay for it a little bit more, so there's a higher bid price that has to come out of that. There are now mid-roll ads, you can have links in ads, all of these different things. But what it also did was it incentivized YouTube, and this was a stroke of genius, it incentivized YouTube to grow because now, advertisers or content, excuse me, not advertisers, content creators like Jordan and I can, we can actually dictate exactly where we want to put an ad. And they, and a lot of people are doing that by simply saying things like this, Jordan, did you know that the original iPhone concept came out in 1930? And then they'll stop. They'll put a freaking video, by the way, Jordan, put a video right here, please. <laughs> they'll put an ad in that place and then they cliffhang you. It's exactly what they do on television shows and it's not rocket science. And so then it, A, says to Joe Schmo, the creator, I mean, we see ASMR videos, which are ridiculous, in my opinion. I don't get it, but that's your thing. Go nuts. But people will be able to create content. They can make their entire job. Hello, PewDiePie and Mr. Beast and all those dudes. Their entire job is creating content on YouTube, but it wouldn't be. I mean, it might be because they're they're not just relying on ad revenue. They're also relying on sponsors, posts, and things like this. But it wouldn't be if it weren't for ads and the ability to then generate revenue. So people then go, YouTube goes, how do we grow the number of videos away from being things like that guy that's saying the shoes? I don't know if you've ever seen that video. It's, oh my God, it's terrible. And salad fingers. 
what the hell is salad fingers? That's all I've... Listen, we need to have a conversation after this. I'll, I will <laughs> blow your mind with the stupidity that exists on YouTube. <laughs> and Charlie bit my finger and all these stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you would have these things and why? how do you encourage people to put that on there? Sure, part of it is encouraging people just to watch it because when you see that a thousand people have watched a video, you get a dopamine hit. That's certainly part of it. But a dopamine hit plus a paycheck certainly feels a lot better. You know what I mean? So I think that's a big portion of where that beginning came from. And yeah, people might be sad or all those things. But if look, to Jordan's example, if you want to go watch a video of cute puppies and they show you a, a video from Purina, I mean, whatever, and they're like, hey, here's this amazing dog food because clearly you have a pet. Um, then in that case, you they have an opportunity to serve a relevant audience. So good times. 2010. Online ad revenue passes print. For the first time, online advertising revenue passed newspaper and magazine spend in the U.S. Uh, duh. So uh, here's something that I think is newspapers and magazines, publications are still struggling with, obviously, as print, print as a periodical medium is kind of increasingly dying um, or diminishing let's just say because i don't think it'll ever die i mean certainly not in the way of books things like that um but there's less production cost i mean you don't have to if we're just talking about like cutting down trees you don't have to cut down trees by the way did you know this is a fun fact william randolph hearst is kind of who's responsible for newspaper and things being printed on paper um and he's also largely illegal for the outlawing of marijuana uh, because he owned a whole bunch of forest land and he was a huge newspaper magnate back in 19 whatever. Um, and he, all newspapers at the time were being, most newspapers were being printed on hemp, not pot. You couldn't like roll it up and smoke it. But, and so he was like, well, I have all these trees. You guys have all this hemp. Uh, screw your hemp. Let's outlaw that. And so they outlawed it. Anyway, um, there's much, my my point is there's much less production cost. Yes, you have more ability to go in and say, okay, well, I want to target this audience that so on and so forth, where an ad in a newspaper, you're, you're purely going by uh, cost per mille, cost CPM ads, right? <laughs> <clears throat> you're, you're, you're having to trust that, hey, we're this local newspaper. We have 20,000 subscribers. Of that, you converted this many ads. Whether or not they came from that, we don't know. We're kind of guessing at it. So it's kind of a no-brainer that it, I'm surprised it took that long. Um, and it is only, obviously, the, the spend and the ROI is much larger in the digital space than it is in print. So, yeah. Good times. Uh, truly, truly. I don't have numbers to back this up, but I have to imagine that with the advent of the iPhone and similar devices from competitors in the following years, the the ability to consume, yes, there were Palm Trios and Palm Pilots sure. and, and all that stuff. There were ways to, to view um, content on a, de a quote mobile device, as long as you had a Wi-Fi connection mm -hmm. um, or a cellular. Yes, there were ways to do it, but it didn't really, really hit mainstream in such a broadly culturally significant way until the iPhone. And of course, that did take some time to catch on. But that being said, I think that really was the death knell for the um, the print 
periodical business's time as king on the hill. Yep. Right, king of the hill. So I, I have to imagine these. It's it's a swan song of, of dire proportions. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. You would think. Um, <clears throat> I I think that, and I alluded to this earlier. I think that that's where we saw the beginning of. I, I, I when you have the iPhone, you have something that actually you can have a full, fully immersive web experience on a device that's not. Uh, a BlackBerry or whatever it is, where you're just effective. Even early Palm Pilots, like I had a Palm Pilot, and you're looking at text. It's grayscale text, um, and then it was just color text, and it was like, you know. But when you have that fully immersive experience, <clears throat> newspaper ads before that, and magazine ads, and what have you, they're sh they're trying to be immersive. They're like, oh, look at this amazing ad from. Uh, Aqua Di Joe or whatever. <laughs> They're like, oh, check this thing out now. Granted, you can't take out the little insert and rub a cologne sample <laughs> on yourself. You can't like rub your phone. Oh, look at that. Ugh. I mean, that'd be cool. Some 4D action. <laughs> but they're, they, the, the newspaper still doesn't provide that color that is much more, it's frankly, it's more engaging. It turns our brains on more. You know, it allows us to really engage more so it's kind of a no-brainer that that happened as quickly as it did so my two cents my two cents yeah no absolutely absolutely right yes magazines had like the the upper hand over print because they could be like glossy yep and like shiny right but uh but nothing compares to i mean what it's useless if you have no light yes right and as soon as you have a backlight on a product that can show you anything at any time um yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you're stimulated. Yeah, totally. Right? 100%. 2013, a few years later, Instagram sponsored posts. The image sharing social network platform, Instagram, introduces sponsored posts, which appear in users' feeds. So, uh, whereas before, you may have just had a sequential list of you know, everything that the people that you cared about, which is the reason you followed them, uh, were speaking to, you were just scrolling, enjoying their primarily photographic content, um, art of, of an artistic nature, how you define art that is up to you yes. always has been always will be. Uh, but again, as with anything, as with Chadley and Sydney and Brad, you know, all these AI, sorry, Bard, chat GPT thing <laughs> as, as with all these AIs, everything eventually, because this is capitalism and capitalism is largely good. I will say, mm -hmm. um, everything eventually will be monetized and it was only a matter of time. Tragically. And 2013 was Instagram's time where, uh, who are the powers that be, uh, on the board, shareholders whatever it was i don't even know if they were like publicly traded at that time i don't know but the reality is they found a way to make more money by inserting paid ads inside inside your chronological feed um which was great for advertisers i'm not sure how at that time i'm not sure how relevant the ads were i know for sure ads are much more relevant today um, than they have been in the past, just because uh, in, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, right? In some ways, there's less data uh, due to like GDPR and other privacy measures that have been uh, implemented ac across the globe. In some ways, there's more data for advertisers to use to um, provide relevant ads. In other cases, there's less. Ultimately, I think ads are more personalized than they were 
um, the 10 years ago mm-hmm. today. But needless to say, 2013 was was that time for Instagram. So 2012 is when Facebook bought Instagram. So they were definitely publicly traded at that point in time. And <clears throat> I think that that their rollout of sponsor posts was probably more robust being that it was pulling from same, basically same modeling, same data sets as Facebook, I would imagine. I mean, but then you did then and still do today have people that are not, uh, that are dedicated to Facebook or dedicated to Instagram because Instagram skews a lot younger than Facebook. But also what's interesting is that Instagram is where you kind of get into like dread scrolling Right. And it's like you just scroll and scroll. So, dude, I've bought useless crap off of Instagram and it's fine. I mean, that's not true. Oh, you're being, you're being serious. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I've bought a couple of things off Instagram, but they're, they're things that I like. Like I bought a phone case before that I really liked, uh, but they're serving, it was serving me ads. It was because I wanted a leather iPhone case. This is years ago. Uh, I want a leather iPhone case and the ones that Apple had, I didn't like the look of it. Uh, for some reason. Um, and so it started showing me, it was like, oh, here's this leather one. Here's this leather one, all this stuff. So it was interesting. It was interesting and in being able to kind of see those things. And I, and I think Instagram, if you have a physical product, it's probably pretty compelling. You know, I don't know how compelling it is necessarily with services. Um, I'd be curious to see that because it's how do you, demonstrate like life coaching on it but look look we know that instagram and all these things certainly mutilate people's minds um so it's probably not that difficult so uh 2016 i'd never heard of this i never heard of this either so good lord that is freaking skynet ish if i've ever seen it 2016, the Uber drone <laughs> campaign, which neither one of us have heard of. Because well, <laughs> frankly, it's illegal in the United States to do anything yeah. like this. So I have thoughts about this. I'll, well, I'll sure. tell you in a minute. Okay, so Uber uses the odd but definitely unique method of using drones to suspend carpooling advertisements over gridlocked freeways in Mexico City. So, okay, a couple things. I think the transportation advertising is, is an entire transportation marketing is a thing unto itself. There's a, um, I forget what subway it was. It may actually have been um, in Washington, D.C. Well, let's see that. It says, Por eso ya nunca se. It's like, are you alone? Se ven las, los volcanes. Interesting. Or you never. Yeah, look at us trying to translate Spanish on the fly. Uh, um, they, but this one subway. Do you remember Flipbooks, Jordan? Did you ever play with Flipbooks? I think there's still a thing, like IRL things yeah. or online. IRL, uh, like where maybe. you take, uh, think about it, like a, a a stack of sticky notes, and you draw, you make it's rudimentary animation. Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay, so there's a subway that took advantage of that. As you're going by this subway at because there's a fixed speed, right? Subways. Subway cars have a speed that they have to go by. Let's say it's 30 miles an hour, whatever it is. Well, what they did was they put a sign that was like frame by frame. So if you're driving by at a constant rate of 30 miles an hour, whatever it is, you would see a commercial play because it was driving by the sign, like a flip book. Um, I think transportation advertising like that is super clever. Whether it's effective, I don't know. In this case, 
that's how it strikes me as creepy. And you know, what's also interesting is that we have laws in the United States that prevent people from shooting down drones. But let me tell you something. If a drone shows up to my front door, it's not going to leave my front door. <laughs> I'm just saying. Come on, man. <laughs> That's creepy Come on, as hell. Man. Come on. I mean, <laughs> cool. Come on. Let's go, Brandon. Come on. Let's. <laughs> I would let's, not know what to do if a drone showed up outside my Uber. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. I have a few things to say just because Please. I glean insights from this image. So for all of you that are not able to see this, uh, imagine a bunch of stuff. I mean, it's a picture, right? So yep. uh, according to the caption, we're supposed to believe that all these cars are stopped, yet very few of them have their brake lights on. Um, could they be in park? Yes. Uh, but I have to imagine they're moving slowly mm -hmm. as opposed to being at a full stop. And these, I kid you not, each one of these drones that's flying over, uh, that's a specific DJI model that's at least ten to $12,000 uh, fully configured. They may have taken off the cameras, so they, they could be you know, two or $3,000 less expensive, but these are, um, these are very expensive drones, uh, which in 2016, uh, I guess they would have been the only ones that had enough battery and, you know, uh, uh power to lift these signs above cars safely enough without being thrown off by the wind. Uh, but this one car, uh, this one sign that a drone is holding just, a couple of feet above cars says, uh, do you go alone? I did translate this. Uh, are, are you like traveling alone? And it says, that's why you don't see volcanoes anymore. Um, what? and yeah, I, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 This is why you never see volcanoes. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's some angle for the environment. I'm sure there's some angle for, um, Maybe everybody's just like staring at their screens while they're driving. They're not looking up. Uh, and in yeah. Mexico City, there are no volcanoes to see when you look up. I don't understand. Maybe it has some local cultural significance that we just don't see. But needless to say, right, one of those drones crashing. I mean, that would it causing an accident. I mean, listen, this <laughs> that was a bold move. I'm sure. I'm sure they didn't get permission to do that. Um, I think they just did it as so many great things in the past uh, and, and in the future have been done, right? You know, Richard Branson did all sorts of crazy things yeah. um, in his time before before 9-11. After 9-11, they just would have been simply, you'd go to prison. Uh, but back then, they could be laughed about and, you know, maybe pay a fine. Uh, but needless to say, I do love advertising. When I do love the fact that they pushed it to the limits here. I like that. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's, 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 it's unfortunate that such things are decreasing in regularity yeah. uh, because it's, it's yeah, it's more difficult. It's a creepy thing. I would, I would not like it, but I, I think that also I, I'm going to just kind of self brag about Mondo for a second. Like when you talk to agencies like us, it's kind of like, we're going to, we're going to try to help you find a way to address your clientele or your customers <clears throat> or ideal potential customers, whatever it is, where they are. And so many people honestly will, will kind of come in and help you just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and throw like a lot of ad dollars or a lot of marketing dollars and efforts and energy and whatever that is. Um, <clears throat> just kind of random to see what is going to work. And to a degree, I mean, even admittedly for us, there's, there's a bit of that, right? That's why if you talk to Google right now, 
or you can search for this right now, but even amongst Google ads, they will tell you it's going to take about six weeks before you start to realize ROI simply because it's like honing in on a target, right? It's finding exactly where that sweet spot is, where ROI is peaked um, <clears throat> without going overboard or without going underboard. Sure. Um, so I, I think that the ability and the willingness rather to be creative and the willingness to be humble enough to go back when something doesn't work is part of what, again, I, this is not to be a pitch. I'm just saying that's part of what I love about Mondo is that when we approach something, we're like, well, let's let's see what's going to work. There are certain things that we can say based on data, based on experience, this will work, period, end of sentence. But there are many of those things where we go, hey, great, you know what? Based on data, this might work. Why don't we try it out? And because we don't do a contract thing, you're not then stuck in it for... 12 months with leapfrogging contracts, which turns into a three-year thing that you can't get out of. So anyway, I digress. 2017, online ad revenue passes TV. Online advertising, uh, it passed television ad spend for the first time at over $209 billion. So here's the thing. That's also around the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but that's around the same time that uh, it's about two years before I cut the cord so to speak and purely used apple tv um yeah purely i mean we use purely apple tv and roku today right those are some of our tvs have apple tv some of them have roku uh i does that count as tv revenue i i don't know like i i really don't know i mean it's app based i guess it's tv and then you know i have the hulu where you don't where we pay extra so that we don't have ads type of deal. Uh, I, so I guess there's a definitional problem there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If they're just using like Nielsen ratings, right. which are, you know, arbitrary uh, at best, <laughs> arbitrary at best. And they typically come in some sort of, uh, they're measured over like terrestrial, um, means of, you know, uh, they're measured over cable, cable TV, like, mm -hmm. uh, or, Category five cable, or they're measured uh, somehow on the back end for satellite viewership, and who's really controlling this information, and where is it really coming from inside the set-top boxes, uh, and on and on and on. Yeah, absolutely definitional. We're not going to have the answer to that. No. I don't even know if <laughs> the people that made that stat know exactly because they don't. Um, how could they know for a hundred percent certainty? Uh, but yes, I, I think. Yeah, of course, it goes without saying that eventually, just as uh, the ad dollars usurped uh, periodical ad dollar ad spends, yeah, uh, revenue, it, it was only a matter of time before it happened to however you define TV. Yeah, um, I think it's just yeah. about reaching people. The, the, kind of the crux, and, and if I may, guys, that's the last piece, and it's odd that it cuts off in 2017. Maybe Jordan and I will have to flush... <laughs> just kidding. Flesh one of these out uh, to be a much more, um, there's so much that happens. And quite frankly, there's more that happens every day in the digital marketing marketplace. This doesn't talk at all about SEO, which is a huge part of digital marketing. It doesn't talk about lookalike campaigns or crossover campaigns. It doesn't talk about any of those things. And those are all extremely powerful. I think what's th the big takeaway for me is that more and more marketing, if we look at marketing broadly writ, whether that is in, um, uh, what's the city? Versu not um, Pompeii. There's marketing that we can see in Pompeii. Like there's marketing that we can see in 
very ancient Greece and all these things. And you can see signs and people doing graffiti, which is effectively a term of marketing or advertising or what have you. I think that what ultimately is what is happening, it is communicating with people to somebody's advantage, right? So part of what a lot of people don't do is they don't trace that to its end result. I think that the method of marketing has been usurped largely in in many broad-based categories um, based around not nothing reality. They're just basing it around political whims. I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, but in the local business and in professional services and products and what have you, when people stay away from those things, you you don't alienate because you have to assume that if you say, if you say yellow, 50% of the people are going to be like, great. And you say blue, the other 50% of the people are going to be like, great. Well, you've, you could potentially have alienated those things. And our job as marketers is to help a company or service or product or whatever it is to reach the more, most relevant yet broad audience possible. And we try to base those things around demographics, geographics, all of these things, because why would you in Denver, Colorado want to see an advertisement for something in Paducah, Kentucky? It doesn't make any sense. No offense, Paducah, I'm sure you're great. Um, <clears throat> but like, why would it be relevant if it's a local business or service? I, I've told this story before and I'll tell it again really quickly. I was looking for, I was looking just to do some cold prospecting into uh, concrete paving, right? Um, concrete more particularly. And I came across this, this Google ad and it was for a tantric yoga studio in Boulder. And I was like, I was like, what? And now concrete, such as it, or, or yeah, concrete, that's an expensive ad. I want to say it's like 20 some dollars probably per click, but a tantric yoga studio is not $20 a click and they're sitting there marketing and they're paying for that right now. Granted, yes, they're only paying for it on a per click basis. They're not paying for it to be there. But the problem in that instance is that that company spent time on their own because there are probably not a whole lot. Uh, there may be one, uh, probably not a whole lot of marketing agencies that would make a big mistake like that, but they spent time and energy to put that ad up there thinking that it was going to do them good and it's not going to do them any good. And <clears throat> in that particular case, I felt bad and I, I did not click on it, but I looked them up and I called them and this person answered who was like, hello, this is, Willow Rain. And I was like, oh, of course. So no offense, Willow Rain. I'm sure you're lovely. But I was like, hey, do you control marketing? I was like, I swear to God, I'm not trying to sell you. Please don't think that you, hey, but take this ad down. And I was like, can I send you a screenshot? Because you're paying for this, whether it's with actual clicks, which you probably aren't going to get any, or with time and energy, you're paying for this. You need to fix that. So uh, I hope they fixed that. But the point is that when, when you're working with an agency, our job is to come in and say, here is the breadth of all of the things that we can do. Even the creepy stuff, by the way, that listening on your phone, like we can do that. It's expensive, but like we can do weird stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just think that marketing is such an interesting thing because it's the crux of everything we do. It is trying to influence people to act in a particular way. It's as simple as that. Um, so, yeah. I mean, we're doing this right now. This podcast is marketing. Hi. 
Hey, yeah. welcome. Hey, right. it's me. Subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> we're the solution. Oh, yeah. We're, hey, I, I just want to bring up two quick points. I yes, know sir. we're going kind of long today, but <clears throat> since we're here, yes. uh, two things to what you're saying. There's, uh, there's relevancy and uh, my other point is on set and forget. I think so frequently, and I'll take the second one first, set and forget is... Uh, it's, it's not a good stretch, no. especially when it comes to, to how you market, uh, right? That's, that's really how um, you speak about this tantric studio that shows up uh, for like a result under like concrete ads, right? Like it is possible in Google ads. If you are not maintaining this on a regular basis, um, there are peop- there are search terms that people will enter and your product will show up. And it's up to the marketer, it's up to the person managing the account to add that as a negative keyword so that you are not billed for these ads that, yes, the impression was there, the ad was served, the person clicked, why they clicked, who knows, uh, but they clicked and then they got to this page and they're like, wait, this is absolutely nothing to do with what I thought I was clicking on. And then, so the click-through rate might be high, but there are no conversions. There's no end dollar uh, improvement for the client, mm-hmm. right? That, that That's one part. You have to be actively managing uh, these things. It, it's not just, hey, this is what we're going to do and then just leave it to gather dust, right? That That's that's not it. And to my point about relevancy, which is uh, it's something that you brought up just a few minutes ago, uh, right? It's, it's you don't want to be paying for ads where it doesn't make any sense, right? Like if, if and I'll give an example here, if you have an ad and uh, it runs 24 hours a day, every day of the week. And on Monday through Friday, during normal business hours, you get a lot of impressions, clicks, and conversions, but you pay the same amount for those clicks on the weekends between the hours of like midnight and 4 a.m. And for some reason, there's a lot of people that like are served this ad and they're searching for something pertinent and it shows up and they click, but they never convert. Uh, Again, this is speaks my first point as well, right? It, you don't want to do anything but spend the ad dollars as effectively as possible, as pertinently as possible. You, right, in this example, you, <laughs> you're going to eliminate the budget for non-converting hours and days of the week for whatever that keyword or ad group is. And you're going to increase uh, that spend where it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about being mindful, realizing what product or service for this client makes the most sense to be served ads as at a given time to make everybody happy, to make the people that are searching for it be able to find it uh, faster, to be able to get that product service that they need sooner, and for the person selling the product or service to realize that opportunity. And I, I think that within that, there's also, <clears throat> there's an argument to be, well, it's not an argument to be made. It is what it is, is that if you're, for instance, a local business, that you really pay attention to the way that perceive people perceive you online. So things like reviews, because if you're, if you're looking for the Jordan, uh, Jordan's pencils X, which is Vantablack, um, <laughs> then and you find that you want to see the review because it's not enough to just be in front of people's faces, right? Um, but it it has to know that this is something that is quality product or service or business and things like that. And so many people don't, they don't think about it like that. They especially don't think about it in the case of who they're putting out there. I think they're, I think a lot of people, their conception of how people perceive them 
begins and ends with their product and service, and they don't take those sorts of things into consideration. For instance, there was a roofing company that um, <clears throat> was a client of a company that I used to work for years ago. And uh, the owner of this roofing company, and I won't say who it is or where it was or anything like that, but let's say Jordan comes on and goes, hey, you know, they did a, they did a pretty okay job, but they're, they left a bunch of nails sitting on the ground. Uh, you know, it was very messy. So, and they gave them a two-star rating. This owner would go on and respond, which is very important, by the way. We should do a whole entire thing about reviews one day. Um, would go on and respond and be like, yeah, well, you're an idiot. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. And and they would do that. And, and the other thing is that you have to think about <clears throat> how you treat your employees. Because your employees are the people, there are people that I've worked with in the past that I go, this dude right here, this girl right here, these people are amazing. You can trust them in whatever they're doing, whether we are in com competitive um, businesses or not. But then what happens is you have the other people that aren't like that. And I mean, quite frankly, at the end of the day, many of those people, it's going to be common knowledge, whether, you know, you, you, you're, but how am I trying to say this? there's going to be common knowledge how that person acts. Um, and sometimes if Jordan goes, hey, what do you think of Bob over here? I don't need to say, well, Bob's a jerk or something like that. I just kind of go, nah, I mean, you know, what do you think of Bob? You know, because let me tell you, it's not going to be any big secret that Jordan knows how Bob is. And my point being that everything you do is about marketing whether that is a perception from firsthand accounts, from networking events and groups and things like that, or people that you talk to, or you just randomly run across an ad. Um, marketing at the end of the day is everything. Uh, and marketing, I think, is also part of sales. That's a whole entire different conversation. So I digress. I digress. Pay attention to your reviews, people. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just dovetail that <clears throat> by saying you can find an ad. You can search... You can find an ad, you can click on that ad, right? Uh, the company is paying for that ad to be served. But as the consumer, if you see that ad, great. Uh, you can track it uh, as a conversion because it led to the site and they clicked on a form. But if afterwards that user does some of their due diligence and says, okay, um, what are the reviews on this company? Mm. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go look at Google Maps. I'm going to look at Facebook. I'm going to see what people are saying on Reddit. I'm going to see what people are saying on TikTok and Instagram uh, and what have you. And they find out that, you know, there is a general angst uh, to your point. Maybe there's there are some there's some feedback from the company uh, that is combative with the people that are leaving the reviews instead of trying to solve the problem. Um, if it's a bad look, ultimately, it will not be a conversion mm -hmm. uh, based upon how you manage your reputation. Yeah, people's tolerance to deal with bullshit, pardon me guys, but people's tolerance to deal with that, it's like, well, I can go to this company who get, the, you got two companies, you have one who makes the best cakes and one who makes an equally good cake, but over here the people are assholes or the people are just not even friendly. I mean, it doesn't have to be like aggressively mean, <clears throat> but you walk in and it's, you know, the paint on the walls is chipping or something like that. You're going to go to the one where you feel more welcome and the way that people treat you, that has a lot to do with it. And your former employees, especially by the way, are probably your most, uh, one of your most valuable advertisements out there in my opinion. Uh, so yes, boy, 
We are going long today. Good times, guys. Uh, um, Jordan, what should people do since we should remind them for a third time in this show? Listen, it's important, especially when we go on a marathon like this. If you enjoy what you're hearing, if you like our beautiful faces, if you can see them, if you're enjoying the dulcet tones of Brandon, who I have squeezed the juice out of today, or if you enjoy my nasally sounding voice, <laughs> then <laughs> please, please share, like, subscribe wherever you listen, wherever you wherever you view Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Overcast, which is our favorite. You should be using it if you're on the Apple platform. Absolutely. Then please. And of course, we always love it when we get letters in the email yes. from people. So please send uh, any comments, hate mail, thoughts on what we should discuss in the future to podcast at trimondo.com. You can also leave a comment anywhere, wherever you're listening to this, please just drop us a line and we're happy to respond. So thank you again. Thanks so much. So much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> it's been for real buddy. <laughs> All right, guys, we are Audi 5,000 as the kids say, the kids don't say that. <laughs> they used to say that. They used to say that when I was a kid. So it's like <laughs> back the, when web crawler was black and white days of web crawling. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you corrected me where you move your cursor over the thing and it loads faster. It's a real thing. Yeah, dude, it's real. Who knew? It's real. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, Jordan. Thank you so much, sir. I can't wait to talk to you for episode 17. 17. I think we're almost able to vote. <laughs> 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 It's like bypass. Uh, Our show can almost vote. Driver's permit has turned into sweet. You can almost drive not with purely an adult. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> All right, thanks, well, guys. You be done. Thanks. Peace.